The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 134 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. So just a quick reminder, folks, as we always do, uh, we're on at least a dozen different playback mediums now, but you can listen to any episode you like, anytime you like, 24-7, 365, on our very own website, www.tf7radio.com. That's tf7radio.com, real easy to remember, real easy to type into your URL. And uh, as always, when you visit us, and as you're perusing around, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. It's a great way to keep in touch with the extended TF7 family. So, got a great show for you this evening. The Global Business Information Security Officer at CBRE, Mr. Patrick Benoit, is going to be here with us tonight. So, Patrick's been an advisory CISO and the deputy CISO for Cheetah Digital, and he is an information and cybersecurity and privacy executive. He's also a writer, speaker, knowledge provider, and seeker. He's a great person to have on this show, uh, and you're going to see why very shortly. Patrick works across all security domains and is experienced at building cybersecurity programs from the ground up. So he's going to get his hands dirty and also runs large operations and large teams, uh, but he's able to get in the weeds and do it himself if he has to. He's been an executive business partner with Experian and a customer delivery executive with Dell Services. So lots of diversified experience across different verticals, which is very cool. Uh, over the years, Patrick has owned his own technology consulting company, which is also very interesting because he's also done it on the, on the entrepreneur side as well, which is very difficult. He's also led software development infrastructure organizations and worked with all levels of executive leadership in both the operations and security spaces. Uh, he holds numerous cybersecurity certifications. He's got a bunch of them, uh, too many to mention, maybe almost about 10. He is a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt. And he's got a master's degree in economics from the University of Texas at El Paso, right? So very cool. On, on top of all this, he serves as an enlisted soldier or served as an enlisted soldier and commissioned officer for nearly six years in the United States military. So he's a patriot. He's one of America's best. And I'm super stoked to have him with us this evening. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Global Business Information Security Officer at CBRE, Mr. Patrick Benoit. 
Patrick, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, thanks for having me, George. This is really great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Hey, it's great to have you on. I want to I kick off the show by understanding how your career led you to your current role today. Because I, I, like, I like to talk a lot about how people pivot in their careers and how they get to where sure. they are today. And a lot of people are very interested in, in the stories. So. Well, kind of, kind of a long and winding road. I'll try and make it brief. Um, so, uh, you know, ex-military, uh, started out in uh, uh, the field artillery, so certainly nothing to do with my current job, you know, except for maybe lobbing shells from time to time. And um, uh, eventually left the military after, uh, you know, working defense contracts and other things and programming and software development for years and years and went in back into the civilian sector and, you know, worked in uh, computer operations and worked more in software development uh, and eventually started my own consulting company with a, uh, a good friend of mine. We co-founded together and built it up uh, uh few million dollars of consulting, uh, pure services, uh, distribution, light manufacturing primarily uh, is where we were doing it on uh, technology. A lot of it in the uh, mid-range space. So IBM, uh, pick, pick the name du jour, but, you know, AS400, System 38, AS400, I-Series, System I, whatever they're calling it nowadays. Um, and then eventually uh, left uh that, you know, left my company, sold my equity, and went to work for um, uh, a small aircraft uh, engine manufacturer because it seemed like that would be fun to do since I was a pilot and flight instructor. That just seemed like that would be fun. Uh, did that for a while and eventually came back to Enterprise with Dell and did infrastructure delivery. So infrastructure delivery was kind of the first, you know, doing ITO was the first um, realization that even though I had had my own business and had to do sales and, and all that, you know, consultative sales and such, um, that you could actually apply that, that sales process and not be an actual sales commission sales guy, but apply it to IT and apply it to, you know, the technology world. Um, so I had responsibility for delivering the outcome of, of uh, the infrastructure services that we had for clients. And, and that was that first big foray into that. When I left there and went to Experian, um, I actually was one of three uh, executives and we built a business partner program. Uh, the idea of the business partner was that um, we were the the global technology, the global CIO's representative uh, and the global CISO's representative down into the business line. And uh, we represented the business line back to the, uh, the CISO. So in, in much larger companies, we now see it as a uh, business CTO, a business line CTO sometimes, or uh, in, in the case of security, it's, it's a, a BISO. And, uh, so coming to CBRE, they asked me to help them build a BISO program. And um, so all of those uh, little uh, forays into sales is what made the difference because first and foremost, it's, it's a sales job. Uh, so that's how I got here. Wow. You know, that's quite a story because a, a lot of people in information security positions um, have taken an, an, an untraditional path, <laughs> you know, a non-traditional path to where they are today. 
And it's very interesting how people are able to pivot in their careers, how they're able to capitalize on the skill sets they have and have those transferable skill sets move from, from position to position, from vertical to vertical. And I think it's a really good lesson for people to understand, and especially for young folks to learn that, you know, you really have to have an open mind. And you, you, if you understand where you are and where you want to go, that you can actually pivot from place to place. And it's a lot about connections too. Let's talk about the BSO position. And that's the business information security officer position. I don't think, er, well, I, I know that not every organization has a BSO position. And it, these positions are very, very important in terms of being business aligned. Can you tell us exactly what, the, what your role is as a BSO? So, so in, a, in a traditional sense, um, the BSO role, and in fact, if you Google it, look it up online or whatever, is traditionally fairly... I'm going to call it swim lane or gated in that it's, it's, uh, you know, you walk, uh, you take direction from the CISO and you go to the business executives and you say, hi, I'm here to help you. And I can tell you anything you need to know about security. And if you have any questions about security or needs with, within uh, global security, I can help you uh, get that done. And I learn about your business and I turn around and walk back to the CISO and say, Hey, been working with the business down there. They really need some help with X, Y, Z and security. What can we do for them? And so it becomes this very kind of swim laned uh, channel back and forth between the business executives and the, uh, the uh, global security office. Um, my view was that, that the most important part about that, that BSO relationship really uh, has more to do with sales than it does to do with the security itself. Yes, we do have expertise. Yes, we do help build security into applications and various things like that, guide, consult, and so forth. But in the end, the, the real role as I built the BSO role is to face the customer from sales pursuit all the way through account management and be able to stand there, tell the right story, the clean, good, proper story that builds comfort with the client about how you do security in your company. And, and that's really the role that we're trying to build. And it lives on that sales side. And then the other side where it gets outside that traditional channel is I also live on the product ownership side in that I work with product owners to help them mature their products and to help them um, uh, build a product and understand the security in the product by design so that I can turn around and have a story to tell the clients about the products and services we're selling. So that's, that's a really interesting take. Do you, do you find that the BSOs normally have a solid line to the, the CISO and a dotted line to the business, or is it usually the opposite? Is it a solid line to the business and a dotted line to the CISO? Or? Yeah, generally I'm seeing that solid line to the CISO and the dotted to the business, uh, although it could go either way quite easily. And the, re the reality is that um, most of the day-to-day -day interaction that a BSO has should be with the business. Uh, most of what they're doing on the, the side of the security office is uh, staying in touch with, understanding what the roadmaps look like, um, helping coordinate as we need resource to, you know, uh, uh, build the proper controls in place to tell the client story. But the day-to-day -day is really with the business line. So what do you think is the most challenging thing about being a BSO and what, what, what do you think should be different about the role? Well, for me, it's actually less, it's a less challenging thing for me. So I'll kind of spin that question a little bit and say, because I approach this as a sales role, 
and I apply sales model and sales techniques and business, you know, working with the business kind of uh, framework, um, it's not as difficult for me to, to work in that environment. For most people that come up through the ranks, they come up through security and then they get a traditional BSO role and then they have difficulty sometimes with that communication with the business, with that um, being able to tell a good story, obviously an honest story. It has to be completely transparent, honest, but there are ways to, to tell the story that keep you from running down rabbit holes that you shouldn't be running down and things like that. And, and that's, that's usually hard for a technical person because technical people are very analytical and very black and white and it's this and it's not that. Um, and so that salesmanship side of the puzzle piece of the puzzle is, is usually what I see is most difficult for people. So do you think CISOs rely enough on their BSOs to help them communicate the message that they want to get across? Cause I've seen situations where CISOs go into big board meetings and, and they have BSOs in there, but the BSOs don't say anything or they don't talk or sometimes not even invited. Um, maybe not a board meeting, but maybe it's an ELT meeting. Maybe it's some kind of a executive risk committee, but, when I just find that uh, a lot of times the CISO is kind of taking it on by himself where, you know, if he relied on or he or she relied on some of the BSOs more, that uh, that might be more advantageous. What's your, what's your take? Well, it's, it's kind of a team dynamic you have to look at. Um, there are uh, CISOs out there that are very, very good in front of people, very, very good in front of clients. And they actually enjoy that. They really like doing that. And in that case, um, you may often find that you uh, hire a BSO to work for that person that tends to be more task-oriented, more procedurally oriented, more take care of the day-to-day -day activities in the business going on, but the CISO still fronts everything. That's not uncommon. But there are plenty of CISOs out there that just really don't want to have to deal with clients on a day-to-day -day basis necessarily, and they would prefer to be running strategically and tactically helping run the security operation. They like the technical aspect of the security. They like the GRC aspects of security. Uh, and they don't really um, care if they have to do the client stuff or not. So in that case, they may hire a stronger front-facing person to, uh, to take all of that, that, front, that front work with the client. And um, simply by the nature of that, it then causes the BSO to be more visible to uh, the business line, you know, ELTs and SLTs and, and things like that. So it can go either way. Uh, for me, uh, I prefer the, 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 the latter because like, like I said, I like that facing aspect of the job. So for me, I do get to front a lot of those things. Yeah, I, I sort of favor the, the CISO using all the, 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 the human resources he has it or she has it at, at their disposal. And I think that, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, risk, especially, and we're speaking the language of the business, it's great to have the BSOs in, in, in the room because they're always dealing with a business, like you just said, right? So I, I once had a mentor over at JP Morgan Chase, very senior uh, CIO, told me that process is king. And it really just stuck in my mind, you know, for so long. Process is king. There's no one, you know, button push, tech, one push button technology out there that's going to solve all your problems. What are the key areas of process and improvement that will make this role more important in the future and more successful with the business? Yeah, and let me add one last thing to that last little comment too, is that the other benefit of putting the BSO forward 
under day-to-day circumstances is that when you truly need to bring out a big gun for senior, senior level client executives, you can bring the CISO out yep. and it yeah. gives you a place to go. Anyway, in, in, yep. in terms of process, um, the places where, uh, so, so you can look at process from the security point of view or from the BISO point of view. From the BISO point of view, where most of the security process comes in is in um, on two, two sides, two, two uh, input and output, really. So the input side is uh, bringing in uh, all of these requests. Uh, traditionally, you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of people take these client questionnaires, client risk assessments, client you know audit type things, and so forth. Questions that come in, and they're they're transacting all of this stuff through email, and it gets very very cumbersome as you can imagine, and uh, hard hard to manage. So putting wrapping a ticketing system process around your front end is just a good idea. Um, it gives you some ability to, you know, track, assign. It's scalable because as you add new people, you, you use the same intake process. Um, and it gives you the ability to start uh, developing metrics about uh, what kinds of work you're processing for the team. The output side of the process that is always lacking is actually responding to the questions. So questionnaires can come in and they can be, um, you know, you may have seen them before, and they could be anywhere from 100 questions to 1,000 questions uh, of varying degrees of, uh, you know, talking about risk and GRC and policy and governance and, and uh, you know, security controls and asking for evidence and so on and so forth. Um, it's very repetitive, but unless you have a built-out library of answers, a standard library of answers, there's you run the risk of not answering the same way every time. And so you, you, you build some inconsistency between your clients, which could lead you into a place where you have to deliver on a, on a, uh, a promise, so to speak, that you didn't know you necessarily made. Um, so, you know, standardizing your response and your response process and looking for ways to um, shorten the time frame to answer these kinds of questions uh, evergreen evidence, uh, being able to reduce the touch points on all of the other teams and be that front so that when an audit comes in, you can answer most of the questions and you can just go to a repository of, of evergreen evidence and pull out what you need to show the auditors what's going on without having to bother an engineer, uh, you know, 50 times with 50 different questions. So that's really the two sides of the coin there more than anything. You know, it's interesting, uh, just on your first comment there, it, it brought me back to when I was a, uh, a young sergeant a long time ago in a police department, and the chief made me the public information officer, and I spoke regularly to the media, and there were some pretty important things that were going on on a regular basis. It was a, a, a very, you know, it was a business cadence, um, and I went to the chief, and I said, hey, are you sure you want me talking to, uh, to the press about these things? Do you don't, you know, would you like to speak to them? And he said, no, I want you to talk to them just in case you do make a mistake, and I can come in and fix it. That's it. You know, it's like, you know, you, it's amazing the things that you learn and then you carry them with you through your career and they're applicable uh, in whatever, you know, job that you have. Um, and uh, that was a, a learning moment for me and certainly smart on the, uh, on the, well, it gives part. me air cover too, to some degree, because I can also, if I need to, if somebody's asking for something that I don't think is reasonable, I can say, wow, you know, that's never been the case before. We're not used to doing that. That's not our standard practice. I can ask, 
but I suspect it's not going to get approved, but let me escalate that and ask. So now I can get some air cover um, and, you know, turn to the CISO and said, hey, I told him I didn't think this was good. This was going to work. What do you think? Oh, no, it's not going to work. Okay, good. So now I can go back and say, hey, ran it up the flagpole. It didn't fly. Right, right. So we're always talking about security as an enabler. Uh, so we, we try, the, the goal is to get there for the business to see us as an enabler to help them facilitate um, their profits and you know, their revenue uh, streams and things like that. Uh, not to be a blocker, not to be a challenge all the time, and certainly not to get away of the customer experience. What are some of the big benefits for the business and the security professional with this role? Well, without, let's, let's, so let's do the contra and say, without the role, now you're down in the business, you're trying to answer an RFP, part of the RFP has information security stuff in it. You as the account person has to coordinate, you know, going to 10 different teams or 20 different teams to get answers about how our network's set up, how our, you know, cryptography set up, what are we doing for our uh, firewalls, what's happening with, uh, you know, uh, access control and identity and access, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you don't have any expertise to be able to even ask the questions. Many of these questionnaires are asking uh, bizarre kind of wording of the questions too. And so there's some interpretation. That all gets offloaded to a BSO. So they, they know what to look for. They can handle that. The business benefits from that because now you can go as an account person, you can go sell more. You can go work to service your customer more. That's a huge, huge benefit. Um, the, the other is that at some point, if you, if you build the program properly, you actually can give the sales uh, teams a value add. So what, what, what would it be like if you could sit in front of a sales, uh, on a sales pursuit and have your uh, BSO there with you and have, be talking to their executives and their executives are just blown away by the incredible security that you're portraying for them. And that at some point they make an offhanded comment about, wow, I wish we could do something like that. And you have the ability to say, we're happy to help you out. We do offer consulting services. And so now all of a sudden the, the BSO and the, the global security office uh, becomes a, a, a revenue generator. Now it may be a minor revenue generator, but it's still a revenue generator. Exactly. It's no longer <laughs> purely a loss leader. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a big difference. It's a big, big difference. difference. It's yeah. an attitude difference. Think yeah, about people. how differently the business will treat our security teams, if they know that we have the ability to help them sell more. Huge. It's a yep. huge difference, right? Um, you know, just having the, having the audience and how they interact with you, it's just a, it's, it's totally different. So, all right, Patrick, we got to take a, a transition into a commercial break right here. But hey, folks, if you're on social media, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family. We're going to pause for some quick message for our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, Global Business Information Security Officer at CBRE, Mr. Patrick Benoit. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. 
in business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at ContextIS.com to learn more about how we can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America.
You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Global Business Information Security Officer at CBRE, Mr. Patrick Benoit. So, Patrick, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, the role of the security leader and how it's evolved over time. I've asked my, my last couple guests uh, this question. I always find the, the answer is interesting. How do you think this role is evolving, and, and what do you think for the future? So, um, you, you know, if you look back, the, the role hasn't been around, what, barely 20-some years or so, 25 years or so, if you look at it technically, maybe even 22 years. And so it's still really, in some ways, in its infancy. Um, and if you, if you correlate it and look back at how the CIO role evolved, over time, the CIO role went from, you know, first the old, the IT director role and the IT manager role, IT director role, and eventually it became, a, 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 you know, the head of information security or information technology and then, and then uh, evolved into a CIO role. But even at that, for a long time, they didn't have that seat at the table. Um, it had to evolve and they had to prove themselves as having uh, the business acumen to sit at the table with the other, the other folks to have an understanding of, uh, of operations and uh, you know uh, marketing and sales and finance and so forth. Um, as that proved out more and more, um, you saw the CIO and eventually a CTO evolve into more of a true C-level position. Um, I think the CISO role is is running down that path now. Um, there are, at least to my knowledge, few companies that actually have the C-level role, that's the CISO role that is a true C-level, meaning it's an L2 role. Um, there are a few, but not many that I've heard of, and they still traditionally are reporting either under the CIO or CTO or under the chief risk officer or sometimes finance, sometimes legal, um, but it's always down a level. Uh, and I think that's because we haven't, proven yet that we are uh, play strategically at that business level. We're still an SME, so to speak. So I think the evolution is going to be, and I think the BSO contributes to this, is building the sense and the comfort that, that we're business people. We, we understand business. We just happen to have a specialization in security, much like a CFO has in, in finance. Um, but we need to be considered strategically in all decisions and be part of that top-level discussion. Um, so I think that's where we're going, and I think it's going to continue to take us um, uh, proving that out. Uh, to our detriment, we've had a scenario where things like compliance uh, uh, challenges like PCI, uh, you know, waved the magic wand and said, you must have a named CISO. And then all of a sudden you had smaller companies that needed to be PCI compliant turning to the guy that knew how to change the firewall rules and saying, well, you understand the security a little bit, don't you? Yes, I do. You're our, our new CISO. And then that gets parlayed into a CISO role at another company. 
but they never necessarily really had a broad view of, of working at a strategic level as a security officer. Um, and, and that's to our detriment because it, it, now it takes us longer to prove out that we're really at that upper echelon. So that, that's what I see happening. We have to continue to prove that. And I, I think you're right on point on this and I can't agree with you more. more. And I think the, I like to add that I, one of the issues that I see is that there are a lot of executives act, acting out there to our detriment in terms of getting this accomplished, you know, getting these executives to see us as business leaders. Um, that's going to be really hard. There's a lot of guys out there that are not business leaders that are in these positions um, that need help, and that's fine. And, you know, and that's why we have CISOs and deputy CISOs and, and working together. And I'm a big proponent of that thing. I don't think a CISO can have every it, – it, it's difficult. Sure, they can, but it's so hard for one person to have all the skills needed to get this job done, right? We're a big proponent of the CISOs on this show. Um, we, you know, we want to we be a, a champion. Uh, and evangelize the CISO position and how important it is and how challenging it is. And, and, and a lot of times we defend CISOs on this show when they get attacked or they have a breach or something like that. But it is really difficult. There are a lot of guys out there, uh, especially you know, engineers, who just don't want to let go of that, that tech, uh, that speak, and, and when, when that language when they talk to the business. And it's hard to get, convince the board that you're a business leader when you're talking to them like that. A lot of times they don't understand what the heck you're saying. I mean, do you, do you find that to be the case or? Yeah. Well, and I also find that, that the title is, is sometimes not necessarily truly descriptive of the person's experience. And this is not a, a, a downplay on any person, one person or anything like that. But if you have a, whether it be a CIO or a CISO of a, you know, half a billion dollar company, they have one level of experience. If you have a CIO or CISO of a, you know, $50 billion company, um, that's a different level. That's a different kind of experience that's yeah. there. But when they walk in the room and they start talking to each other, uh, you know, somebody introduces both of them as the CISO of XYZ company. And unless you know that company and you have some sense of the size and the magnitude of, of, of the, the, uh, the uh, depth of their business, and they look the same. Um, and that's just not true. So we've got to figure out a way in my mind, I think there should be a way to better delineate that, but I guess it's going to always be the case. It's not unique to security officers. So what other areas of interest do you have or experiences do you have in other sectors or other careers that you may find useful in cybersecurity that helped you pivot? Well, it's it's funny. I I was always accused of uh, by my mother of being trying to be a jack of all trades and master of none, and I always <laughs> reported to her that I was intending to be the master of all trades. And so I have a, a, a short attention span in many cases for uh, other activities, uh, but there are some that I've 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 uh, taken to and I really like, uh, not necessarily professional activities, but uh, for instance, I study martial arts and teach martial arts. Um, I uh, am a, a certified flight instructor and pilot, uh, uh, corporate jet certified. Um, and there are many, many techniques, and it just take those two specifics, that you can take uh, learnings and teachings from those areas that you can take and move over into cybersecurity. Uh, when you talk about uh, martial arts and you think about the, the idea of uh, yin and yang, and you think about conflict resolution and communicating such that you 
um, are getting your point across in, in a way that's accepted. Um, when you talk about piloting and you think about simple things, like I'm a big proponent of uh, using checklists, and, and that's a pilot's lifeblood when they're in that cockpit is they have emergency checklists memorized, they have normal checklists that they pull out, and whenever anything happens, when an incident occurs, why aren't we sitting in the, in the uh, uh, network operations center or the security operations center? Why don't we have a checklist that gets just pulled up on the screen and the incident commander works right off that checklist to make sure that they're covering all their bases? We should be able to do that. So those, those are some examples of some things that we can bring across from other areas of life. So as a certified flight instructor, what kind of tips and techniques that you, can you teach uh, to others that could be brought into the cybersecurity world? Yeah, I did a whole uh, presentation on this at one conference, and it's, it's a really a lot of fun. You talk about things like, um, you know, situational awareness, um, which really, in, in our terms, in security terms, we talk about, you know, monitoring and being aware of what's going on around us, uh, being proactive in cyber threat hunting and so forth. So that whole idea of situational awareness. But one of the things we teach, we teach um, pilots, pilots, student pilots, is as they're flying, and they look at their instruments, and and the, something goes wrong. The very first thing they have to do is 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 stop trying to find the problem and fly the plane. Because if you don't fly the plane, the problem doesn't matter. And and it's a lot the same in cybersecurity. If, if there's an incident that occurs, somebody attacks you, there's an exploit that goes on, then, you know, the first thing to do is stop the damage, you know? Don't worry about how it happened, just stop the damage where you are. So fly the plane. Um, we also talk about this concept when you fly an instrument, uh, instrument meteor meteorological conditions where you can't see outside because of the clouds. You have to trust your instruments. But you also have to cross-check your instruments. And, and that's very pertinent to what we do because we get a lot of times where we'll have a tool come in and tell us, hey, this is what's wrong. And we'll run down a rabbit hole for half an hour or an hour chasing after what we think is wrong based on one tool. If we just looked at another tool, it would have told us that there's, there's a conflict, that that's not necessarily the case. And maybe one of the tools is reporting false positives or a false error. It's the same in flying. If you look at one instrument and it says that you're upside down and the other instrument says that you're right side up, well, you better find a third instrument. You can't just take one instrument and be fixated on it and fly the plane that way when you can't see outside the plane and your senses won't tell you whether you're up or down. And, and, and that's what happens in cybersecurity incidents a lot of time. We waste a lot of time chasing down rabbit holes because we don't use all the resources we have and correlate them to determine what really is going on. So a lot of people who pivot into cybersecurity from other careers grab certifications to prove competency in certain domains. So can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons to having professional certifications in your mind? Um, I, think, I think they are... Um, so it, it depends a lot on what stage in a career uh, we're talking about with the person mm -hmm. too. If we're talking about early stage, um, it, it, it generally is a, is a nice thing to have because it helps you kind of uh, 
gives you some kind of discriminator that you can work from. It shouldn't be the only one, but at least gives you something that you can use that says, hey, they took the time, just like a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, they took the time, they did the work, they got through it. That at least proves that they're willing to work and persevere. The CERT kind of tells me the same thing. They, they took the time, they worked through it, they took the test, they have minimum, minimum uh, skill or minimum uh, knowledge at that point in time. If you're talking about later in the career, oftentimes they don't mean nearly as much. However, frankly, they're still door openers. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I had lots of business background. I owned security under my remit as the head of IT for a long time, but um, I never, I didn't work specifically in a security role. So I knew what was going on, but my resume didn't necessarily say that I was in a security role at during all those previous experiences. So for me, going and getting a few of those certifications were just a way to kind of say, yeah, I was, I do, I, I do have these things. And, and it's a, it's a, you know, benchmark that says, yeah, I did do the time and I can get through the stuff. Um, in the end, I don't think they, they necessarily, uh, at least some of the, what I would consider, I hate to use the word soft, but the softer ones, the ones that aren't like deep, dark, you know, technical, uh, forensic kinds of uh, certifications and things like that, pen testing, those are very detailed. But some of the higher level ones, um, they, they give you a brush uh, stroke as to what the person might know, but you, you still don't have any idea how they are able to apply what they know. So what do you think about these reports about the demand for cybersecurity professionals outpacing supply by millions, <laughs> millions uh, of people? <laughs> what do you think about this? Um, you, uh, well, most of the time the source is some sort of media outlet and, and I'm just naturally suspicious of media outlets because they're the ones that, you know, are even right now running around uh, uh, making hay on, on the things like Zoom bombing when Zoom bombing is something that's applicable to every meeting collaboration tool that's out there. If you don't configure it properly, you might get bombed. So, um, but they're making hay on that. And, and so, I think the media hype is overstated. I think it's it's probably not as bad as it looks. And I think we're missing the opportunity to uh, help people uh, change careers, uh, take people with good skills. Um, I used to say when I was a software developer um, that, you know, I could, anybody that I could find that had good logic skills and, and, and good, you know, they could see things and they could abstract really well that, it didn't matter what language they could code in because I could teach, you know, almost anybody with a good language reference guide that had those kind of skills to program in a language in a matter of a month, you know? Right. Um, and, and to some degree it's the same with our shortages. Yeah, there probably is a shortage, but um, some of it is self self created because we're, we're uh, maybe building bigger, teams than are necessary. Uh, um, sometimes we're less efficient. Um, we build bigger teams because there is, uh, for everything that you want to do, there's uh, 20 or 25 different tools to do it. And we probably have most of those, right? As CISOs. Um, we don't do a good job of, of 
using one tool and trying to get 80% or 90% effectiveness out of a tool. Um, we get 20% effectiveness and then, then either we go by or the next person buys a different tool. And so now we got five tools to get 100%. Um, and so we, and we end up with having to have five different SMEs. Um, so I don't know if it's, I don't believe it's as bad as, as we're making it out to be. And I think there are plenty of ways to fix it too. So in general, there are some reports out there that say that emerging technologies like artificial intelligence will replace about 30% of the current workforce in general uh, that's out there today. How do you think this is going to affect the, the shortage of talent in cybersecurity? And when I say this, I mean emerging technologies like yeah. artificial sure. intelligence. Well, I mean, in, in theory, you know, the, 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 the direct uh, implication of that is they're trying to say that, you know, AI and ML is going to, give us the extra bodies because they won't have the jobs and so then we'll have a glut of talent. Um, I think the reality is more along the lines of uh, we'll have the ability to elevate the skill sets of, of the talent we have and no longer have them doing tasks that probably are beneath their skill set, that are underutilizing their talents. Um, you know, and, and I also think that AI is still a ways away. I think ML has some benefits right now to automate uh, routine and mundane tasks. Um, I think it, it, it helps replace, you know, a lot of tier zero and potentially tier one tasks that are repetitive um, and gives us the chance to move talent up to the tier two, tier three and above levels. Um, so yeah, that probably helps our shortage to some, or at least our perceived shortage to some degree. Do you think there's a lot of artificial intelligence being implemented in the cybersecurity space right now in the industry? Um, I think there's a lot of ML. I think right. there's some really, really soft AI that's being right. implemented right. or being right. developed and put out there. Right. Um, I also think that it's often hard to separate the, you know, the wheat from the chaff because the marketing uh, community has jumped on board and, everything is AI. And so, you know, AI is one of those words, like uh, uh, another uh, podcast producer friend of mine says, let's take, you know, take a word out back and bury it and never use it again. And AI is getting to be one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So um, considering all these uh, issues that are coming up, I think uh, with the emerging technologies and the, and the talent crisis and, and people pivoting into cybersecurity. I think there's actually a lot of a lot of people leaving cybersecurity. To be honest with you, I think there's, and that's causing a big problem too. Um, people are becoming frustrated with the cybersecurity space, especially people around the VP, SVP level, um, and maybe well, maybe AVP, VP level. Uh, not so much the SVP level, I guess. Um, I found that right around the AVP, VP level, that people are just becoming frustrated. Uh, the younger folks are just like, you know, I'm out of here. I'm going to go. To another, how do you retain talent in these places? How do you retain the talent in the cybersecurity organization once you get the talent in there? Well, uh, you have to be able to. I, I think we miss an opportunity if we're not helping teach our mid-level or middle-tier executive uh, security talent. If we're not helping teach them, well, either a how to step up to the next tier is, is obvious, the obvious thing. But the the other is. What if there's not a, a next tier for them to step to in terms of cybersecurity? Because there are only, you know, so many CISO roles out there. 
So, you know, by having roles, I'll use my role as a perfect example, like this visa role. This is an amazing uh, role and would be a great role for any CISO from a smaller company that has that slant towards business orientation and working with salespeople and things like that. It's a, it's a great opportunity, but the, you know, they, there's this mindset that you have to move up to a CISO role to, to, to get any place. And I think that that's wrong. I also think we have an opportunity to look at our security executives. And if we, if we are really helping them to be business leaders and understand the business so that they can, we can truly elevate the CISO role to where it needs to be, then that means they also should be able to be in a position to look at other opportunities in the business line. There's probably no reason why a strong uh, uh, cybersecurity leader couldn't also become a business line CTO. They understand the technology. And, you know, it's not like they have to put their hands on the keyboard. So there's, there's an outside of security opportunity that may open some avenues for people. There's no reason they couldn't move into an operations role or to a solutions uh, delivery role or other roles like that if we just, um, you know, taught them about being business leaders first. Um, if they got tired of or got burned out with security, they have lots of other options, and we may not lose them from our company if they're good quality talent. What are some of your interests in some of these outside, um, I guess, activities that you do when you're off time that might help younger folks hone in their business skills? Is there anything that you can uh, you know, recommend to some of the younger folks out there, some of the younger professionals, things that they can do, not only in the office, but even outside the office uh, to really uh, hone their business skills and, and help them in their careers? Yeah, I, I, think, I think some of the big areas, and it doesn't matter what the, the outside interest is necessarily, but if they always think about um, the communications aspect and the relationship aspect of whatever they're doing, you know, whether like if it's me and I'm doing martial arts and I'm you know, helping teach a student how to do something, there's a communication process. I have to understand the audience. I have to uh, understand the message I'm trying to get across. I have to be able to assess how that's happening. That's a skill in business that everybody has to have. If you don't have that skill to be able to communicate effectively um, and to, you know, resolve conflict, not necessarily some big blown up conflict, but just even minor conflict, be able to do that conflict resolution and to help guide the conversation and help, uh, you know, listen really well. Those are all skills that doesn't matter what you're interested in. You can, you can help develop uh, in that. And then look for in your interests, like I did with flying, look for things that you're doing in, in the interests, your hobbies that do translate. I gave the example of checklists. I mean, how often do you really hear that terminology and see that model put in place? But it's, it would be a super model for incident response if you had a checklist so you don't make a mistake and forget to check on something. You know, that it's, it's, it's a great model to use. So look for those opportunities to translate from what you're doing into cybersecurity and do it consciously. All right, Patrick, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, 
Global Business Information Security Officer at CBRE, Mr. Patrick Benoit. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Global Business Information Security Officer at CBRE, Mr. Patrick Benoit. So, Patrick, let's talk a little bit about controls and, and, and some of the things that uh, cybersecurity professionals do to, to mitigate some of the threats that they see out there today. What kind of what, what, what tro- controls do you see lacking most often in companies? Well, um, and, and I can't speak directly for what might, quote, be lacking in, in companies, but what I can tell you is what companies are asking you most about okay. and and that would indicate what's most important to them in terms of controls and this would include large financial institutions and other large companies and that's an indication of where where we should be focusing um, and probably an indication of where they've seen uh, gaps before um, number one is obviously identity access management um, so you know they want they want SSO and MFA absolutely they want you to prove that you have a good onboarding and offboarding process, that, that you are um, you know, controlling who gets credentials and, and when they get turned off. Uh, they want you to prove that you're reviewing credentials. Um, so those three areas there um, are, are huge. You get through that and you've, uh, you've addressed a big chunk of their concerns about identity and access management. Um, another area is uh, encryption, so data, data protection. Um, they, they absolutely positively want to know that you have your data encrypted at rest. Um, and there are probably companies that don't. Uh, they might think that their data is not uh, you know, personal data or sufficiently confidential to need to be encrypted. Uh, and that may or may not be true. Uh, but regardless, companies, uh, especially the larger companies, are expecting you to keep their data encrypted at rest. Um, and, and along with that is encryption in transit, which I think for the most part, everybody does when they talk outside the network, they're, they're pretty good about making sure that they're using secure, uh, transfer protocols. But, um, those are two big areas. Uh, and then once you get beyond that, you start getting into a lot of areas around, um, you know, patching and proving out that you're patching because um, most most of the the issues that we see coming up with uh, companies that are breached uh, tend to be, uh, you know, somebody didn't patch something uh, or there was an exploit that didn't get patched in a timely manner. Um, So patching, proving out your patching program is a big one. And then proving out your your, uh, uh, testing program, your vulnerability testing program from 
uh, you know, uh, and especially in app application security, so static code testing, dynamic code testing, uh, doing your vulnerability scanning, uh, doing, uh, you know, pen testing, doing red teaming, all those kinds of things. If you can prove that stuff out, then you've addressed a big chunk of the, the actual controls. Most of everything else you have to answer tends to be administrative controls, and they're looking at policies, governance, and proving out that you're following your own policies. So as a BSO, what are some of the biggest challenges you see with client security? Um, so probably twofold. One is um, the client is expecting levels of security that don't match the level of risk for the data that's being kept. So let's say you had a company that was keeping data about the plants that you have in your yard. Um, probably not high risk if something happens to that data, but you'll have companies that would come to you and say, well, you've got to have um, encryption at rest and you've got to have uh, HSM, you know, FIPS 140-2 level three uh, security for the keys and you've got, you know, yada, 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 MFA, SSO, and MFA, and yada, 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 because you're storing data about their plants. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so there's a mismatch between the level of, of security that they're expecting you to comply with versus the the risk to the data that you're actually processing for them. Um, and that's out of whack a lot. Uh, I also see a lot of um, companies where it, the clients that seem, seems that, that they're compliance folks, um, I don't know, I don't know if it's because they feel they have to create this work for themselves or if they honestly believe they're doing the right thing or what, but they will, continuously hits you about prove this, prove this, prove this, prove this, prove this. Well, guys, that's the point of the annual external audits that you do, like SOC audits and, and you know, the every three-year ISO audits and so forth. That's the point of uh, them getting to do an annual assessment with you. If, if, if we have to spend every month trying to prove out something uh, to clients, then we can't get anything else done. Um, and, and I just thought of kind of the last area is the level of detail that they want to know about uh, your security. So as a SaaS provider, you know, you're providing a, a service. You're providing a software as a service, and you should be prove to them that you're, provide, you're taking care of all the appropriate controls to secure your infrastructure and things like that. But when they come to you and start asking for things like, I want a list of all the computers and IP addresses that are supporting this program. Well, no, you know, those are things that should they get accidentally leaked would be detrimental to the security of your environment. And so they're asking for levels of detail that are just unreasonable. So when you think about a young security program, what are some of the most important things that people should be thinking about right out of the gate? Like what should be your focus areas on a very young program if, if you're starting, not from scratch, but an immature, you know, uh, cybersecurity function? Well, I, you know, I, I, in some ways I kind of hate to say it, uh, but, but 
you, you've got to have at least a parallel track that is focusing on governance some, because the unfortunate reality is that every single compliance check that you get done against you, I, I don't know what the number is. Let's just say it's Pareto and it's 80% is going to be, show me you have a policy. So yeah. it's unfortunate because the policy doesn't make you any more secure. Um, but that's what they look for in terms of compliance. And we have a lot of checkbox kind of security that goes on out there, which, which is unfortunate. Um, but if I was building a program from scratch, I mean, I would have that working in parallel. Um, I would be from a, from a technical controls point of view, I would be looking at, um, you, the, the big basics, which is that identity and access management again, uh, that, um, you know, monitoring, logging, monitoring, alerting the correlation so that I know if something's happened. Um, and I would be looking at, you know, endpoint security. I would be looking at patching and I would be looking at, uh, backup and recovery, disaster recovery type, um, scenarios, um, to be able to, to, you know, recover quickly if something does happen. So those would be like the first big areas that I would look at. So I think security awareness and building security into the culture has been one of the biggest challenges that CISOs have. Um, making everybody think of themselves as a security professional. How do we make security awareness more effective, and especially in these large organizations? Um, you know, it has to do with uh, uh, touch points, for one. You can't just have a once-a-year touch point. Um, you have to you have to find as many ways to touch a person as you can, whether it be they walk through the door of the bathroom and there's a sign on the door that tells you about passwords, or there's a webinar that's offered, or there's a uh, Slack Q and A that you can jump on periodically, or um, we offer you know you offer curriculums to be able to become a quote company security champion. Um, you gamify stuff, you do, um, you know, uh, offer stickers that they can put on their laptops that when they find a phishing attack or when they, um, you know, identify uh, a new, uh, an idea that, that may be a security problem. So you, you got to develop as many touch points as you can. And the other part of that developing touch points is you got to be engaged with them. You can't just be a security person that, that shows up when there's training. Um, I mean, you, you got to walk around the building. You have to be in front of people. You got to be in meetings. You got to be social. Uh, you know, a business, uh, office social with these with everybody. They have to feel like security is a part of the business, not that it's standing off to the side, pointing fingers and telling us what to do. So I think those are the two big areas. So I can't just talk about some of the governance checkpoints here. We, I know you mentioned, you know, regulatory and, and policy issues that have to be documented. Of course they do and have to, to make it a, I guess, mature the program and, and make sure you're able to move forward in a way that's compliant without speaking to risk management. Right. So I, I want to speak a little bit around risk management. I want to get your, your thoughts on how risk management fits into uh, the approach in the business to security. Well, I mean, it's an absolute, it, it, it absolutely has to be, you know, the starting point for every, you know, almost every decision that's made. 
And I think uh, the mistake that's often made is that we try and bite off risk management as a huge program instead of um, taking a kind of a stepwise approach to it. We don't necessarily need um, all kinds of uh, crazy algorithms and, and formulas to assess risk and things like that. We just, we got to start simple. We got to start with something. So start with, you know, uh, classifying your data and identifying your assets, you know, security 101, and then start with identifying where you might have risks in some major areas, whether it's reputational, financial, cyber, whatever the risk is. If you were building an enterprise program, if you're building purely cyber, where are your big risks? You know, ransomware, phishing, yada, yada, yada. Um, and, and then just develop a simple method for um, doing a risk assessment and capturing meaningful risk in some kind of register and having a plan so that those risks are addressed. And as you all know, addressing the risk may be that we're going to accept it, but have somebody at the ELT level accept it. it it's not something that you just stick in a, in a database somewhere and every quarter you look at it and go, yep, we got this gap here that we've got to deal with. Um, so, you know, make it a simple process like that. Get the ELT engaged in it. Try and, and show them pictures that help them understand where the risk really is. Let them understand that um, in the end, the decision whether to accept risk or not is up to them. Uh, in the end, the decision to spend money to mitigate risk and how much to spend is ultimately up to, up to them. And we're going to advise them on what we think is the appropriate course of action. But in the end, we're going to support them and, uh, you know, take other steps to mitigate risk if they choose to go in a direction that's not what we recommended. So there's always a lot of big breaches out there. It seems to be every time you turn on the news or open a newspaper or read it online, there seems to be some type of, you know, big breach of the day, or the week or whatever. But what are some of the recent big name data breaches that you think have affected the approach to cybersecurity and how so? Yeah. So um, I think, and, and without, without going into specific names or anything like that, I think what we have learned over the last several years are a few big things. One is um, we actually have to be responsible for the configuration of security in, in the public cloud. Um, and I don't know why that wasn't intuitively obvious, but apparently it wasn't. Um, and, and so we've had lots of breaches that were surrounding, oh, you know, we left S3 buckets unsecured, uh, insecured and things like that. So I think we're learning that um, our responsibility uh, in the cloud is much greater than what we maybe kind of jumped on the bandwagon thinking it was. Um, so that's, that's one big thing. I think uh, the other is uh, a lesson that unknown to me why after so many years we still can't seem to figure out that, that patching is, is a critical aspect. Patching should be one of those highest priority things that we do uh, with respect to our, our environments. And yet, we hear about it all the time that, that, you know, oh, this didn't get patched because we put it off or, or you know, we've got these systems that are end of life, end of support. Well, that means you're not patching them. Um, so we got to learn the lesson that's put in front of us. 
the last one I think is more unfortunate is that it has created a very, very um, checkbox oriented compliance driven uh, aspect of cybersecurity where we have everybody trying to write the perfect regulation and write the perfect standard and write the perfect uh, measure for compliance that is not necessarily making it more secure, but it's definitely taking a lot of our uh, security talent and resources to answer the questions all the time. What do you think is next in cybersecurity? What do you think is going to be the next big thing or the next big technology or the next big event in cybersecurity? Well, I, think, I think we continue to evolve into more uh, as a service kind of orientation. So I think we're going to see greater and greater and greater moves towards uh, uh, security as a service. Um, and, and that gets difficult because what happens is um, most companies, I don't believe necessarily have a good strong third party assurance program to begin with. And then if you push more and more out to third party vendors and you don't have that robust um, uh, um, third party assurance program, you're basically just kind of gambling on that they're doing the right thing. So there's a mis misperception, I think, that we can put it out to a third party vendor and we don't have to worry about it anymore. And that's just, that's just not the case. And I think that's going to be a hard lesson to be learned still. And I think that that lies in front of us. Obviously privacy lies in front of us. Heaven only knows what, you know, is going to come in terms in the U S especially in terms of any potential federal privacy laws, or are we going to deal with 50 different state privacy laws? Um, and, you know, is it going to be uh, that kind of scenario again where we have to increase our staff to, to manage the compliance with, with the, the regulatory compliance? So I think that's going to be more and more. I think there's lots of opportunities we talked earlier where we're going to see um, stronger and stronger and stronger tools that will help automate um, the tier zero, tier one kind of processes. Um, I also think, frankly, that we're going to see a point in time where this overreach to outsource everything offshore um, is going to kind of swing back a little bit and stabilize somewhere in a more reasonable balance between offshore and onshore resources. Um, I think there are companies out there that learned this lesson long ago. They went to the extreme and they offshored everything and then figured out that that doesn't work and they ended up having to swing the pendulum back. And I think that lies in front of us too, is finding that balance of, of a diverse geography um, that isn't only for the sake of cost savings. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Can't wait to have you back. Oh, absolutely. Been my pleasure and ready to do it anytime. All right, folks, it's time to go. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there.
Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.